Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Kevin Goldberg, who was specifically requested by a listener, and hopefully we go down the right road. We're going to kind of cover, I don't know, we're going to start with some basics, and then we're going to kind of get a little bit more advanced as we talk about musky trolling for fall. We're going to start with equipment, uh, baits, rods, reels, line, leaders, then we'll go to talk about speed, structure, water temperature, influence, and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's going to be all about fall trolling this week on the podcast. If you like what Kevin has to say and you want to hear more about him, you can hear him on episode 165, 125, 77, and 27. We used to like Kevin a whole lot more apparently than what we have in the last, say, year and a half which is not true. We actually like Kevin quite a bit. He has not, I mean, the good thing about Kevin is he's got nothing to promote, nothing to push, no guide service. He really is just here to give out information because he wants to help people catch more muskies. And I forgot to announce the most important thing is Brad is back on the podcast. So thank you, Brad, for returning. You have saved the show. I don't know if I saved the show, but I, I appreciate that, and I'm glad to be back. I mean, it's been a few weeks, three, four, whatever it's been, Jeff, but I truly enjoy doing the show, and I appreciate everybody listening, and uh, it's always a blast to get on here and talk with uh, a bunch of different kinds of people, right? We talk to guides, we talk to the to different characters throughout this whole industry, and it's always a blast, and truly enjoy it. So what have you been up to the last few weeks, Brad? I mean, is fishing going well? Is filming going well? Like, what's going on? You're going to have to do more than that. You're going to have to give me more than 30 seconds. You haven't been on in four, <laughs> four weeks. I'm going to make you talk for more than 30 seconds. Well, I can tell you this. It's been one hectic year. We have been doing quite a bit of fishing in the last month and a half. So the reason that I haven't necessarily been on the recordings, but, uh, it's that busy time of the year. You know, we all look forward to September as musky anglers. And believe me, I put in a, a ton of time throughout the month of September, as well as this first two weeks of October. So we are filming. I've been doing some guiding and uh, just some pleasure fishing mixed in in between. And it's been good. It's been really solid. We have 11 shows in the can for Mayhem 10,000 Calf. We have two more episodes that we need to complete before the end of the season. But uh, it's getting to that time, Jeff, where I'm almost thinking, man, I'm going to have to start doing some editing. So I, uh, I will be sitting in front of a computer here in the next couple of weeks, I'm guessing, just trying to get prepared for that whole side of it as well. Well, I mean, the good thing about it, though, is you probably still have, I mean, what do you, what do you think typical ice up around by you is, like another month or so? Oh, a good month, generally speaking. I mean... For the most part, the last three, five years, we've made it to December 1st. Minnesota closes on December 1st. So I'm able to fish, generally speaking, all the way to the end. Um, Last year, I think we quit. Oh, let me think. It was probably three days before Thanksgiving was my last trip out here in Minnesota. And it wasn't necessarily due to ice by any means, but I think the last day we went out was... uh, the last filming of last year's trolling episode that we did. So season two, I think it was episode 11. It was nine degrees that morning when we hit the water. And I think it was supposed to be a uh, a high of 16. I don't think it ever happened. Um, We probably still could have kept fishing, but we decided to go over to Wisconsin and we flipped down to Ohio. And I mean, I, 
there's options, right? If you're a muskie angler and you want to continue your season, you don't have to just stay here in Minnesota or Wisconsin. You can hit Illinois, you can hit Indiana, you can hit Ohio, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. I mean, there's tons of options. If you want to be a muskie angler throughout the season, all the way to the first of the year, you have options and you can go find them. There are lots of places to go chase them. And that's the, I mean, the cool thing about it. And, uh, you know, we could say muskies are muskies are muskies. It seems as though there's you know, different ways to catch them everywhere you go. Although I would assume that, you know, if you applied some of the tactics that we talk about occasionally with guides from, you know, say Tennessee, Ohio, whatever, I think if you applied some of those up here, you'd actually find success up here as well. So kind of goes in a full circle that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of different ways to catch these fish. And... As always, we need to mention these two companies. If you are still out chasing muskies and you need gear, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Where we'll keep it in the theme of trolling, you know, this week. But we have, you know, we got Jakes and Grandmas and Depth Raiders and Boss Shads and uh, what else do we have? Pretty much any trolling bait you want. We got some. We have limited stock of Legend Lures. You want headlocks and matlocks from Supernatural Baits, and if you need. You know, trolling leaders from Stealth Tackle, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We are your source for all sorts of musky gear, reels. We've been getting lots of reels in, so I don't want us to think that we're just, you know, musky baits. If you're looking for rods and reels, whether it be St. Croix or Chaos Tackle, looking for some pens, some Abu Garcias, some Daiwa reels, you can find it all at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And that's enough of my minute. So, Brad, why don't you talk a second about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Are you sure you need me to help you out with this? Because I've done it for four weeks in a row for you. I could do it if you wanted to. Uh, I, I actually heard from a client of mine. He was talking to me about some stuff that you were talking about and catching some big fish on some Muskie Mayhem Tackle in the last couple of weeks. I, I didn't even know that, Jeff. I feel like uh, you're a stranger at this point. I haven't talked to you in so long. But uh, it sounds like you did some did some damage with uh, some mayhem products. Yeah, caught some fish on some detonators and stuff like that. Yeah, I I've caught a couple of muskies this this year. Just you know, we don't want to get too carried away. M- much more than two, <laughs> but I caught a few. Yeah, I'm uh, half the owner of Musky Mayhem Tackle with my wife Carrie, and we've been around since 2005. I think we started making baits in '03. Became a legit com- company in '05. And we are the originators of the big bladed musky baits, as well as the first ones to start with Flash Boo. And uh, you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com. Pretty simple. And you can find that uh, all of our standard colors are there, as well as you can be creative and create your own customs right on our website. Or if you choose, you can go to Team Rhino Outdoors and actually find some really, really cool customs. And it, it doesn't have to be just Mayhem products. Jeff, you do a great job with all the custom colors, so it's awesome. Thank you, Brad. So, you know, Brad, I'm going to just, we're going to cut this off here pretty quick because I already know that this is probably the longest episode that we've had in probably since the last time we had Kevin on because the one thing that's awesome about Kevin is he's not shy. He can definitely expand on his thoughts and opinions, and he can bring you a lot of information. So let's just dial up that conversation right now. Let's get after it. All right, our guest this week is Kevin Goldberg. I had a listener reach out. I don't remember if it was on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and 
They specifically requested you, Kevin. So here we are. I had to, you know, make sure that I uh, fulfilled listener requests. And they're like, hey, I want to hear from Kevin. You haven't heard from him in a while, which I, I just looked back. It's been a while. I mean, we, episode 165, we're on, you know, one uh, 245. I think this is episode 245. So, Kevin, we probably haven't talked to you in like a year and a half. Wow, yeah. I was going to say, I knew it had been a while. I couldn't remember how long, but I thought it was. I only did two. So that tells you how much I remembered, you know? Yeah. So it's good to be back for sure. Well, we thank you for for being back. We, you know, you graciously accepted uh, my request, and for, of course, I had to chase you down off of a musky trip. You were uh, <laughs> hanging out in Canada, I believe, right? Or where were you? Yeah, I was in Canada. I was in uh, Georgian Bay. Okay. Yep. And how did so, how did Georgian Bay treat you? Uh, like the Georgian Bay typically does. Tough. Beat you up a bit. Weather's always a little bit fancy out there, but. I think we still managed three and lost one. So out there, you know, for a five-dayer, that's about all I could ask for. It seems to be about the average, truthfully, when we go, you know. It's a tough place, but it's a place that makes the hair of the back of your neck stand up a little bit when you troll some of those spots. So I definitely love it out there, you know. You were telling us before we started recording that that's more your thing these days. You're, you spend less time at home chasing muskies, more time uh, on destination-type trips, huh? It just seems like I'm getting more into that. Like the more I, the more I've been doing this, it's kind of like, I don't know for all those places I used to go and you could catch a lot of fish and have a lot of fun and great falls and some great fall days action wise. Um, it seems like now I'm more into the go somewhere, swing for the fences and just look for what that one big hit. I'm kind of leaning more and more that way, you know, as time goes on, I guess I've been doing this longer than I thought, you know? (laughs) <laughs> so it's already getting old to me. The old stuff's now moving on to new destinations, new challenges. So, yeah. well, it's, yeah. as a musky angler, it's kind of what keeps it, I guess, new and fresh, right? I mean, if you did the same thing every single day, uh, year after year, it'd get kind of boring. So branching out to new waters and unfamiliar territories is what makes it cool. That's for sure. Yep. That's for sure. And then, you know, on top of that, I mean, every season is a different challenge. So that, uh, you know, that that goes a different direction as well. Yeah, and it seems like every year something's something else comes up. The weather, everyone talks about it's a crazy weather year and, and and it is true though. Like you look at your log and you try if you used to log stuff and you follow temps, it's like, man, it's crazy how drastic some of these changes are and how, how far off it is from years past. I mean, you just tell some of the months you're used to planning trips on, it's like now you're itching things back to have the temps the same as they were back in the day, you know to wait till it cools down it's like everything just seems a lot different nowadays you know but again it makes for new challenges so nothing's ever the same so when you were up at georgian bay what did you have for water temperatures and like what what did you think typical should be your out for this uh we had like you know i think we had 59 to 60 61 and which is not i mean we've had that in the past but the crazy part was just a week before we got there it was like 75 or something like the the temp dropped like 12 or 13 degrees in a matter of a week so like i was planning on going up there possibly to be casting you know and stuff like that and just trolling blades and who knows and then next thing you know you know i get there and there's frost in the morning and the temps drops you know that's a major major drop in a short period of time so like it ended up getting closer to what i was used to but luckily it's just because we had one big cold snap you know and a lot of wind and a lot of rain. We had like three straight days of rain, so I just steady watched it drop. But 
yeah, if I'd have been a few days earlier, I'd have been out there in six in 70 some degree water temps in mid October, you know, which is crazy for up there. So it's just been wild, but that's how it goes. Absolutely. All right. So Kevin, typically let's just say, I would say you're like a resident trolling. We'll call you an expert for lack of a better word. We'll call you expert. And the listener reached out, wanted to talk, have you talk about trolling and specifically I'm assuming fall trolling, but I don't know with you or any guest. I, I mean, I could be wrong. We've done, you know, like I said, 245 of these. It's hard to keep track of everything we talked about, especially because I mean, we've had you on four previous times. We may have discussed this already, but let's start at the very beginning. The most basic. I want to go trolling, Kevin. I need a rod. I need a reel. I need some line and I need a leader. What are you going to get me for a basic setup? And I know for you, you're going to probably go down a couple of paths because you, you're you far from you know, like standard, I guess. You know, you're kind of all over the place. You're fishing uh, big shield lakes to, you know, reservoirs to Midwest lakes. So I'm sure you'll have a few different options you'll be able to go down. But let's just start at the very most basic. I want to go trolling in the Midwest. What am I going to need to get? Okay. Uh, I would say um, for that, I would have like uh and it, this can vary a little bit but as far as like my side rod or as people would call it an out rod you know i would need a rod that's at least eight and a half to ten foot long i've just always used long rods i just like them for the outside a it gives you a bigger spread you know even if it's a one line a person type of deal uh but b i just like them i've used them my whole life i'm used to that and if I am running multiple rods, I always run a shorter in the prop wash or say the board or, or what have you. So I would say an eight and a half to 10 foot rod. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, like those, those ugly stick, big water rods or, you know, that's fine. I've used those for years. I used to use the old ones, but now they've changed the color, but it's still a fine rod for the money. Uh, just like a, a lot of times I get by with a 10 foot two piece, you know, 60, $70 rod. But I have used nicer rods too, like a, say like a Grant or a McGizzy or something like that in those same lengths. So like if I'm running bigger baits, that's the only thing I'll change as far as that goes. If it's bigger baits, harder pulling stuff, I'll lean more to the glass like a McGizzy or a Grant or something like that. And if it's, if it's not anything for like, say, mm, we'll say perch bait on down to the smaller four inch stuff, anything in that range those 10 foot two piece rods are fine. And if it's not an ugly stick, some other brand would be fine. So that's my basic rod reels. Um, I use a lot of actually the, I have a lot of Okuma convectors, you know, the 30 D's. Um, I also use the cold water. I, I had some good luck with those. Of course I have some of the old pen 320 line counters. I still love, but those you're not gonna be able to find today. So the Okumas would be fine, and I actually still use, for my small baits and, like, prop wash rods, um, I use even, like, the Daiwa Sea line They're pretty bulletproof. I have some of those that are 10 years older, and uh, even just, like, the 27 is fine, you know? Spool them up with Power Pro. Like, all of those reels, we're just talking Power Pro, and I typically use a staple for me is 80, but if I'm pushing it real late fall or going to be around more structures and stuff and going for the big ones I, i'm probably more towards a hundred pound braid but if not and anything you know 
Wisconsin to Ohio, a lot of times I get by with 80. I even use some 50 on small baits, but you know, that's basically it for a basic setup rod and reel wise. Leaders, I use um, Stealth Tackle. I mean, I have his fluoro in, in all those, you know, I use 80 pound fluoro from John. I also use 100 pound fluoro. I have some of the big heavy stuff like 140, 160. I don't use it as often. That's more when I go north of the border. But a lot of my around home and anywhere in the Midwest, 100-pound fluoro is just fine for me. I haven't had any bad luck with it. You know, you just got to watch it, of course. And uh, that's basically my leader. I use the number five stay locks primarily, some four and a half. And even when I'm running big stuff, hard pulling, I'll even go to the six stay lock and just a big ball bearing swivel at the top. And that's basically it, you know, for your basic setup. That That's the stuff I use 80% of the time, you know, anywhere I'm going in rat range. It, like I said, my, my uh, wash rod, I didn't really speak on that, but I typically use something shorter. Uh, I, I have a seven and a half foot tooth tamer glass rod. That's a really nice trolling rod. I've used St. Croix, you know, if it's, if I'm using like a uh, graphite, but a lot of times in the cold, I don't lean too much on the graphite. So since we're talking late fall, I do lean more on the glass rod. So whatever your brand or your choice is, but I just like a uh, seven foot, seven, seven and a half foot, you know, medium heavy to heavy glass rod. That's my choice for the inside prop wash rod. And that's basic setup, you know, that's pretty much what I use day in, day out. And the only thing I'd say as far as an advanced is... The only other thing I do is if I'm going up and I'm trolling a lot of rock and things like that, that's where the switch comes in for me. And I, I go to the 45-pound uh, single-strand Monel for the big baits. And uh, I also switch my leaders at that point. I don't use the fluoro then. Um, I'm doing just like the 174-pound solid piano wire, like five-foot leaders. Still doing the ball bearing in a number six stay lock but that's my staple setup for the wire i only run them on heavy action glass rods in like the eight foot range with a twilly tip and typically a little bigger sized reel like if those above the before mentioned reels is 30s i'll go to like the 45 size and that's basically it you know that's really what gets me by for all my trolling needs the only change on any of that is when i'm running boards I do run boards with braid some, but I've just, it's been a habit for me since my old Claire days when I used to go every summer. I still run mono for boards. I'm just used to it. I do it on the big boards with the release clips and I do it on the side planers, you know, the blades or those, you know, the offshore, whatever. I still, I just, that's the only time I run mono. So rod real wise, similar, but I do use mono on my boards and that's about it for all my basic trolling setups. What pound test do you run with uh, mono? Typically 40 pound big game. If I'm, if I'm East and fishing our little shad lakes and things like that, then I'll drop to 30 pound big game, but I won't go less than that. But most of it, I run 40. So I, I want to make sure that the listeners understand because you said mono and then you said monel. The difference is the wire. I mean, it's a wire line when you start talking mono. Um, what times are you actually using your wire line? What times am I using it? 
Yeah, well, how are you using it? And, and give us a little explanation on why. And I do it as well, Kevin, but I, I just wanted to make sure that the listeners understand there is a difference when you say mono or mono. So yes. it, it's, it's a little bit confusing sometimes. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. Um, when I'm using that single-strand Monel wire, um, I'm I'm using that like it's a – there's two, two patterns for me, I guess, where I go for that. One doesn't have to be rock. So the first one is, is the obvious, and that's rock. If I'm trolling a, uh, what I'd call like aggressive baits, hard pump, hard shaking baits, you know, bouncing in and off the structure, bouncing the rocks, literally – you know, running a select few baits that, that really hold up well to the grinding on the rocks. Cause like that's even more so like with speed behind it too. You know, I'm not talking so much slow when you're going slow. Like I would say three, seven and down, you got a little more forgiveness there. You could back off the throttle and come by. Okay. And just kind of skitter over. But when I'm running the wire more so, is when I'm zipping around and bouncing these structures and running a hard pulling bait, like say like a periwinkle or a, or a large bait or a, uh, like a Canadian series boss or something like that, uh, Frankie baits, th- that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm bouncing those and hitting the rocks hard. So I run that little bit of longer leader, but the Monel just gives you the Monel wire gives you that. It's like a freedom where you don't have to worry about you know oh maybe i cut that a little close and next thing you know you're going back swinging the boat around looking for a hundred some dollar bait with that strong single strand monel wire it's the it's the it gives you the comfort of i don't have to worry i don't even look at the rods anymore i listen to hear the drags chirping when i'm ticking rock but i'm not you know i remember when i used to run braid and next thing you know, you know, you're looking behind the curtain to see if anything popped or if you lost a bait, you know what I mean? So that's the first number one reason. The obvious is just the rocks. And when you're doing an aggressive style trolling, I love the Monel wire for that. And like there's different Monel wires out there. And I know guys have used multiple kinds. To me, I fished with guys that have pulled some of the other ones and had not such good luck with some of the hard pulling stuff. We've gone back because the wires just snapped. But uh, the Mason, the Mason um, 45-pound single-strand mile is about the best one that I've found. Yeah, it's a little more expensive, but I mean, I've never even broke it. And I run 35 too for like 10-inch baits, no problem. I, run, I have like a one setup of 35 and 145. So that's the first time that I, there's a call for me for the Monel and I use it when it's cold. It's all, I don't ever even bust it out really till fall. It's just one of those things. It's the style, the program of what I'm trolling and the baits I'm using and where I'm fishing them. But I also run it as a prop wash rod with, with uh, different style baits, not crashing rock. And there's something to the vibration. So there's two to me two benefits of the wire setup and the other one is just that sometimes you could have a rod right next to it in a prop wash say with say like a perch bait or a candy or something that style right seven eight inch bait and just a straight wiggling bait and the wire rod will be firing but the braid rod won't it's exact same setup same everything except that wire gives it that vibration so that's a non-crashing situation but definitely the wire gives them a different different vibration it does something to them you know i've even done it trolling spinner baits as well and the wire sometimes is superior you know 
it's like it just causes an extension into that vibration that's coming off it so that's my other use for wire well it definitely sings in the water as well so that sound attraction attractant might be part of the component to uh its success as well yeah i i believe so for sure all right so kevin we talked about rods reels line and leaders the other thing that you you had mentioned a little bit in there was planer boards you want to talk a little bit about that Sure. As far as boards, it's changed for me recently. In the past, I guess, season and a half, I, I switched from those. I used to use the offshore, you know, with the upgraded lockjaw clip at the front and the little red offshore. I can't remember the number uh, on the back with the has the little like tit on it so it won't slide. That's what I used to use. And I still use them some. Okay. I still use them some. But I switched and I started running that, the blade it was called. I wanted to try it and I was kind of amazed because they just have the small Scotty clips on them at the front and they have like just a little slider clip on the back that just free slides. So when it pops, you're not fighting the little board. It just slides all the way down in the ball bearing of your leader. That blade, I was amazed at how, what it handled. Um, I was able to run bigger baits. I was able to run faster. They never dove. They weren't diving on me and pulling drag. And even when I was going faster and bigger wind. So that impressed me. That kind of changed my little board game. I, I switched to those. Then some people said, oh, well, what if it falls off? And with that slider clip, well, then you're in big, like if I was on a big system, say like a Green Bay thing, and it was windy and you're fishing in the dark and stuff. Well, then I would just swap out that little back slider clip for a small stay lock and then it'll still pop and slide down the board and you're not fighting the board but it won't ever fall off and then you go back and you're looking for this board at night right so that's kind of changed my little board game um for sure and then the only other thing i i do is i i use those stern boards too which is you know kind of the same principle as the regular board except they're more like a giant bobber you know you can let them wave you can let them 100 feet behind the boat they don't, they don't go out left to right, but it just has a clip at the front with a little tit on it. So you put it past the line and it does have that slider clip in the back. So same thing. If you didn't want it to just, first of all, those, when it goes off, it, it's not the pull of a regular board. So it's fine to fight them in. I usually just get them in and then just pop that and let it slide down. It just slides down like a bobber, but all the way to the leader. But if you're worried you're going to lose it when you pop it and it's going to fall off, you could do the same thing with those and put a stay lock on the back. But I like those. They're neat to, if you're running a multiple line spread, um, it's a way to get an extra line out there. It's not like the typical planer board. It doesn't interfere. You can get a fish on. And even if you think it's going to get in the way, you can just open the bale with the clicker on and let it get out totally out of the spread. I usually put them up high in a rocket launcher. Those are pretty neat. That's the one other thing as far as something I use all the time that I didn't talk about, you know, as far as boards. Now, when I use like the big boards, the mass system or anything like that, which I know is a whole other animal, I've been down the road for different clips, but those ones from that Mason, they're like a black, they have the black rubber grips and they have a little kind of, you just kind of pinch them on the mono. I've never had those fail. That's, that's like the only clip I use if I'm running big boards is those it's that Dick Mason. They're all, they're a black rubberized 
grip. That's the clips I use. But that's about it. That's it for the extra special gear. Brad, what are you running for boards these days? Um, I am running the, um, I brand the TRX-44s, which are the church boards, the orange ones that I think a lot of people ran for a long time. But over the years, I've switched back and forth. And now um, I'm using, help me out here, Jeff. They're the, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the I, I number, the Pro Mags. But, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's the Offshore Pro Mags, the yeah. SSTs or whatever they are. There you go. That's the one. Um, and the reason that I, I choose those, one, because of like what Kevin just mentioned, that clipping portion of it uh, definitely holds the line well. And I, I use some braid and I use some mono in my lineup. So if I'm using braid, what I'll do is I'll, I'll rewrap the line runs through the clip and then I do an extra wrap on it so that I make sure that it doesn't slide down the line. When you're using mono, it's not a big deal. But if you are using braid, you can just simply put a little wrap around it and you're not going to have it adjusting on your line, if you will. But they seem to pull really hard and dig pretty good, even with big baits like your Supernaturals, uh, 10 and 12 inch. So it isn't a big deal. Um, and I do like the way that they pull better than the church boards, the TRX 44s, which they were a great option for a long time. And then, you know, as he just mentioned as well, uh, the math system, I use the same exact Mason clip, and I believe that you can pick them up through John Betty at self-tackle. So that's an option if you are running a math system. And the math system is a really fun way to fish because you don't have to worry about it. That clip pops, and basically the boat sets the hook of that fish, and now you're just fighting the fish. You don't have to worry about your buddy unclipping and and uh, removing the board for you and so on and so forth. So it's a great option, but it's a whole different level of trolling, right? Yeah. And I got a question for you, Brad, too. Do you use like when you're doing the boards with the braid, are you using like hundred pound braid? Are you going heavier or what are you for when you're running boards with braid? I generally like to run 80 pounds. Now okay. I will mix it up here and there, but for the most part, I'm running 80 pounds. And I think a lot of times when you start going with bigger, sizes uh lines like that you start getting a little bit more lift in your bait and i'm talking a nano <laughs> amount of, of lift in your bait but heavier line definitely makes a change right the heavier sure. the line there's more more drag and it's going to lift your bait some and that's why i choose 80 generally and i'm not dealing with a lot of rock and i'm doing more of an open water thing as well yeah. as structure more so weed so i don't really worry about that side of it okay okay you know, like like you mentioned before, Kevin, there's days when the wire works better than your mono or your braid. There's days where I see the mono getting eaten versus the braid and, and vice versa. Maybe that's just a bait selection, but, you know, it's one of them things. All of, all of us musky fishermen get certain things locked in our brains, and all of a sudden, okay, the braid got bit twice a day. Let's get the mono lines in and let's go all braid, right? So it's a weird deal and uh i think a lot of times we get in our own head more than than the fish actually care but that's how it works it's it's true though like i've seen it where the mono like i mean i'd say if there was a breakdown i'd be like okay mono's probably the subtlest of the three braids in between and wires probably the most snap as far as if you took the same bait and ran them on all three i'm sure somehow some way if you're under the water watching or listening like you know with those things that can uh, hear the sound I would, that's my guess. I would think mono has the least amount of snap 
followed by brain and then wire strongest amount of snap. That's just what I would guess, you know, kind of like the same principle of when you run a, the bit that has a Lexan lip. If you take that same bait, same speed and throw a metal lip in it, the bait digs more. It has more snap and it doesn't flex, doesn't give. Kind of the same principle. It's just we're dealing with stretch instead of flex, you know? That's how I feel about that, you know? It's got to be yeah, that something. Makes, that makes perfect sense, right? And mm-hmm. and every little detail can make a big difference, right? So that's the things that we pay attention to. When you, you, when you want to be successful, you look for the small detail, and that's going to make the difference. Yeah. One of the things that I find interesting, you know, I should say this because I don't know if you mentioned it, but one thing that you definitely want to do if you're running mono uh, wire, make sure you never take your clicker off. We should probably reference that a little bit because if you've ever had a, a really bad swanky that kind of lost all of its memory and it goes whack wacko, Monel wine will do that. So make sure that you keep that tension. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah, even when you're let, you're letting them out, I got the clicker on and my thumb on them. You know that's true. I'm glad you said that, Brad, because I did forget to say that. You know, definitely. And it's a little bit of adjustment when you fight on them the first time. You know, when you're fighting a fish, it feels a little different too. You know, that takes a little getting used to. There's like that little grind noise. You know, it's a little strange when you're cranking them in. But now, do you run the same, Brad? Are you running Monel single strand? Or are you running the multi strand wire? Okay. Single strand is what I do, and basically the same setup that you're talking about. I will okay. say that one thing that I'd maybe do a little bit different than you, Kevin, is one thing I do is I run quite a few graphite rods. And one of the things that I tell clients, you know, when they're asking me about trolling, well, I don't have the setup, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times I will take some of my older graphite casting rods and, and mix that into my my trolling setup and the reason i do that is i really like watching the graphite rod work it, it kind of gives me some clues to how that bait's swimming and how it's um, maybe absorbing the shock more so than the fiberglass but this year i kind of switched over and i'm using a lot of uh, st croix and i'm using a bunch of eight footers and it's basically the pgm 80 hm and the reason I'm using that is it's a combination between graphite as well as fiberglass. They only make it in that eight foot rod and maybe Jeff, I don't know if you sell that rod or not, but uh, it's kind of a good mixture because you got the graphite and the fiberglass mixed together and it, it gives you a little bit good reading on the trolling and actually watching your bait actually work as well as having the confidence that you're not going to have any issues when it gets really, really cold. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd I'd like a combo. That would be nice, you know, because I know what you mean about the action. You see way more action in the graphite. You know, you could see that. You could tell when you got a weed on, like the slightest weed on your tip if you've been watching them, you know. Right. I would like to ask you, though, Kevin, like, what are your actions that you normally use for your trolling rods? I know we covered that just a little bit ago, but what is the action? I mean, do you like a lot of flex in your rods or do you like a backbone or what is the setup that you're looking for? For for fall, um, if we're talking fall, I, I like a, I would say a, I'm more of a heavy. I'm not quite extra heavy, but like heavy rods. I mean, I'll use only time I use extra heavy is like extra heavy glass, and it's at least got to have a tip so that it loads. 
because I don't like fighting them on some pool cue. I definitely don't like that. Every time they head shake, I think you're in bad, you know, you're, it's bad news. So I'm more of a mid rod. Like I don't mind the rod to load, but I don't want it to be a noodle either. So like, I like a kind of a mid rod load, but I like that tip to have flex, you know? So when it's head shaking and stuff, I like to see that rod, you know, bouncing down towards the water, but that's like my fall stuff. And probably a lot of that's cause I'm using like headlocks, mat locks, big minnow baits, um, you know, like 10, 12 inch boss minnows, big grandmas, things like that. And then into like any of the eight to 10 inch hard pulling deep divers a lot of the time. So for all that stuff, I don't want any soft rods, but you know, the same token, I'll have friends come down to fish with me in the spring. And the first thing I'll do is check their rod. And if their rod's too heavy or too stiff, I switch it out. I'll be like, oh, you got to use this because I'll use my rods that are like, they might be a combo, but they have a soft tip and they're glass. And what happens is if you're running small light wire hooks, springtime kind of stuff, little baits, you know, where I'm not putting a lot to drag to them, the rod's the only thing that saves you. I'll watch them hit and strip drag and then they're gone, you know? And it's like, I like that. That's the only time I use it, like the softer actions, you know, early season, small baits. But for what we're talking here, yeah, it's kind of heavy. I don't, nothing I got in the boats probably for fall time, less than like say a medium heavy at most in a glass. And that's usually on the wash. But a lot of my stuff is like heavy or every once in a while extra heavy if I'm running the real big stuff. But I'm just a big fan of having that, make sure that tip loads nice and it's more of a mid rod bend, you know? I would agree with that 100%. And I think that does help you with some of your hookup percentage, as well as when you're battling a good fish, you have that backbone to actually power the fish. So you're not running around the boat trying to work a fish. And you can stand your ground and you can actually fight the fish and get it to the bag. And you want some of that backbone. And I think a lot of the trolling rods that are out there right now, they're so soft. And you feel like you're bent right to the root. You know, you're bent right to your real seat, and, and now you're fighting a rod plus the fish. And and so I like that mid-length like you're talking about. You want that shock absorbing on the tip, but you need something behind it, too. That's right. Yeah, I like just like you said, when you said stand your ground, I like to stand, pull it out of the holder, and have some control where that fish is actually heading. But when it's making those runs and it's doing its thing, I want my rod to load. I just want it to be not a noodle, like that mid-rod load and a nice throughout the blank. And as long as that tip can go down when it's shaking and stuff, got some flex. I love that. Like, I have some of those, what were they, custom X rods that are like a black glass rod. God, are those nice. I don't I don't know if, you, like, any more. I think, like, there's some similar to that. But when we saw them, my buddy Dave... Clafta, he's like an engineer guy and i remember being at the chicago show and he took that and tested it and i was like whoa you shouldn't bend it like that but he was like kev this is the rod you know well we both bought a couple and i still to this day love that rod i mean and it's weird because it's glass but you could see the action probably because it's not a pool cue so the tip does load and you can watch the wiggle but it's got that mid rod load and man it's just like you said brad it's awesome to fight fish and I feel like it definitely helps a get them in quick enough and B yet not so much that every time they shake, you got all this slack feeling and they're throwing hooks or pulling hooks, you know, it's still soft enough at the top to absorb the shock, you know, happy medium. And that can be a challenge. That's sure. And I think, uh, 
like I said, you know, I, I tell a lot of my clients that uh, just grab one of your old casting rods. Now, keep in mind, you could go too far with that, right? So, but I think we explained pretty well where you need that shock absorbing. That's for sure. The one thing that's really crazy, though, you know, if you get too soft a rod and your buddy's back there trying to net the fish, you can't function and actually put that fish to the bag, right? So that's, that's, that's right. where that, that bone really makes a difference. Yep. Yeah, if your rod's too soft, they're definitely the boss. You know, they are. Yeah, you got to have that control. <laughs> and something else, too. I wanted to say about the rod thing. I do this all the time and I may have mentioned it before, but I'll mention it quick. If not drags. So it's altogether different. When I used to troll with the graphite old premier, I used to troll old premier graphites up in Canada years ago. And I used to go to the Kawarthas and those rods are really stiff, but they showed the action really good. But I noticed from checking it in the driveway, I had to run my drags looser because what you thought when you grab it at the real seat and pull it off is nothing like it coming off the tip of that rod, as opposed to a rod that loads, like say a 10 foot, two piece ugly stick. So one thing I'll mention quick on drags is whatever rod you're using, whatever your spread is, whatever your speeds are and whatever baits you're pulling. If I'm going, let's say three and a half miles an hour and I'm pulling a 10 inch matlock and whatever my rod and reel is, I stand up without slowing the boat down, make sure the boat's going straight, and I give it a nice, good rip forward towards the front of the boat with whatever it is I'm using. And if it doesn't trip out some drag, my drag, uh, to me, is too snug. And if it goes panning out, then it's too loose. Well, if you do that in relation to whatever you're using, you're good. So if I'm at the bay and I'm pulling big baits and I'm pulling wire and I'm running tighter drags, I want to stand up and pull it on the rod I'm pulling on, and it better trim some drag out, right? So I do that with whatever it is. If it's springtime and a soft rod, the drag ends up being looser, but I give it that same rip forward. Like, basically, I'm reenacting a fish biting. And if drag doesn't pull out when I do that for the speed I'm going, I adjust it either way. I don't want it to pan out like nothing, and I don't want it to, like, not give it all. That's how I, like, set my drag. It covers me for every base. Yeah, that's a great valid point. And, you know, you want that drag tight enough that it actually helps set that hook. But at the same time, you can't have it too tight where it rips it out of its mouth. And I think that's a prime example of uh, the way to set them. That's a great explanation. Yeah. Well, good, good. By the way, Brad, to jump back to your earlier question, we do have a St. Croix Premier Rod Moderate. It's a heavy moderate glass sucker trolling rod. That's what we have. Yeah, that, that's the rod that I've been using this while well, I used it this spring. I did actually use a, a few of the Triumph rods as well that St. Croix makes. They make mm -hmm. them in a seven foot and a seven foot six. And a lot of times when I'm running the math system, I kind of like using those rods because I'll start with a seven footer it's, um, and I've worked my way back out to like a nine footer. And the reason I do that is just because it's nice in the, uh, the, the rod tree for my spread, but, uh, the triumphs are a great rod and it's a great option. They're, they're very inexpensive in comparison to a lot of the other St. Croix rods, but, uh, definitely something to consider. They are a graphite rod, but they work really well for me as well. But these premieres that we're talking about definitely, uh, gives me a little more confidence, especially as we move forward into the fall here and it's going to get colder and colder. I kind of like the feeling of having that, uh, fiberglass mix with the graphite so and i know they were designed 
specifically more so for the sucker side of things, but uh, you can make use of them trolling. That's for sure. I'm going to have to check those out. In fact, if you, if you remember Jeff, if you don't mind, send me the link or when, when we're done, I'd like to check those out. Actually, that sounds like something I'd be interested in as well. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. All right. So moving on, Kevin, let's talk about baits. Everybody wants to talk about baits. I know for you, you run a variety of baits. A lot of the stuff you probably run is handcrafted or, you know, hard to find or whatever. So for the purpose of this conversation or for, you know, for ease of access to equipment, I don't want guys to have to go try to find a DK and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you talk like for fall trolling, let's talk about stuff that I would say would be like readily available either through us or or other musky shops around. Gotcha. Okay. I would say for me, there's, there's always, it's two categories. Basically I have the, what I feels like true late fall cold coming to the bitter end at that time of year. I'm just, I'm a fan of, I like my minnow baits and like my supernatural stuff. I just do. I have a lot of confidence in them. So like the ones I use, uh, as far as, headlocks matlocks go i like them all but i'm a big fan of like 12 inch headlock i love 12 inch matlock i love those are probably my two favorite um and then maybe 10 inch uh i like the 10 inch headlock a lot too those work good for us in the fall i don't i use the 10 inch matlock more and when it's a little warmer it's just me but i don't know the 12s i love them both so even in the late even though I know it's more action. I think it's just a speed related thing, but so those for sure. And then minnow baits. And I know there's a lot of different ones out there. Personally, I use, I'm a big fan of grandma's. It's probably because, you know, I only live 40 minutes from them. I grew up using them. So I'm a big fan of grandma lures. Um, And then I use a lot of boss minnows um, in the 10 and 12 inch size. I use some eights when I'm on shallower water stuff in the fall, you know, cause obviously fish aren't always deep in the fall. So sometimes when I'm fishing shallower, I'll switch the gears to like 10 and eights boss minnows and maybe nine inch grandmas, things like that. And I still use jakes too. I use 10 inch jakes. I use some 14 inch jakes, but I'm probably more grandma than Jake. As far as that goes in the Jake size, I probably use the 10 the most. So those would be the most staple for me. Um, I do use some, like I've used some slammers and stuff like that. I, I'm not as comfortable that I don't use them as much, but that's like another one I have in the garage that I do take out in the fall. So that's the first batch of my fall stuff is those type of baits. But the other thing I always do, and I could just never get away from this, it's in my nature, is the the hard pulling or just deep diving big round lip trolling baits stuff like perch baits plows um the legend plows um musky candies um i use like the hookers hooker tackle 10 inch 8 inch boss shad 7 inch um i have some boss shad like 10 inch um I, I use I still use like I have a bait uh, from Brotherhood baits trifecta like an eight inch. Um, I still use I still have the scubas seven and a half inch scubas. That profile that style bait for me is just I have so much confidence in it. Right, I've been using that stuff forever. And there's times in a multi rod set I'll use both um, the minnow style 
and the deep diving, like hard shaking baits. But a lot of times, and I've probably mentioned this before, I'm a big fan of finding baits that are speed comparable, right? So sometimes maybe where a 12 inch matlock looks just money, maybe, maybe the hooker doesn't look as good or the plow, you know, it might not. Like I try to find things in relation if I'm a multi rod spread that are comparable and and those other ones i was mentioning any of those round lip deep divers in the seven to ten inch size man a lot of those are good together right so maybe i'm running the shorter longer like uh short rod baits i might be pulling big stuff like plows and hookers on the short rod in the wash and on the longer side i might be running perch bait candy boss seven inch kind of thing right that's a basic spread and then sometimes I like to coordinate with the supernaturals and the minnows together. I find those very comparable. And there's some days where it seems like it's really cold and I don't know, it seems like my screens like freezing up. It's so cold. And sometimes when that happens, it seems like they don't want so much snap or wander. And maybe at that time, like a, a simple subtle swim, like a 13 inch grandma will be going. And if it does, then maybe I'll go for like a headlock but not as much action. I, I want a headlock over a matlock and I'll put it on the middle eye and, you know, just let it be kind of similar, but with a little bit of lock and then same token, they're hitting something with more snap than maybe I'll throw a matlock on, you know, or, or I'll put the headlock on the shallow eye. So I kind of do that based off a, their attitude and then B just trying to be comparable baits for the speed and place I'm fishing. I, I agree with you 100%, Kevin. And it's very interesting to me. I, I will say this, over the last three years, for whatever reason, I feel more confident because the fish are telling me to go this direction with 10-inch matlocks and 12-inch headlocks. And there's specific ones, and if anybody's watched Mayhem's 10,000 Cast the last couple of seasons with our trolling episode, this black washboard uh, bait that Duff made me a couple of years ago, it has been incredible, and I can't tell you how many uh, fish we've caught on it. I don't even know at this point, but it's it, it's just every time I use it in the trolling spread, it gets eaten. And there's something special about that particular bait, right? But mm -hmm. I would say that you know, as the water temps really, really start to cool down, the less violent the bait is, the better. And we'll start mixing in the grandmas, no different than you. And I, I do so well with the 13 inch grandmas as well. So mm -hmm. you know, the matlock. They have a little bit more wonder, but it's amazing. The last couple of weeks here, I've been trolling, and I started digging out some of the old matlocks that I hadn't maybe used in maybe a few years that I'm like, man, you know, I caught a lot of fish on that one. I should get it back in the spread. And immediately, we caught fish on that. And I will say, they don't all run the same. So you kind of got to watch them, and you got to kind of figure out. And, and it's very interesting just watching your rod tip, because your rod tip will tell you a bunch, too. And a lot yes. of times when you're trying to tune a bait next to the boat, it can kind of skew what you really think that bait's doing because you're pushing water with the boat and you might have some of that wake issue and everything from your boat. So you definitely want to watch. And when you start catching on a particular bait, I don't care what kind it is, start watching your rod tip and, and you'll see some subtle little differences between bait and bait. And it might be the same size. It might be the same exact bait but they don't all run equally the same. So you definitely want to pay attention to the ones that actually get eaten. That's for sure. Yeah. And like, I think sometimes just the wood alone, right? Anything that's made with wood, you know, 
just the weight in that wood, I mean, can make it a gem. And like you said, if you could pick up on that and pay attention to that tip and you might have a few other ones to go through in your box, try to find something that you can get the closest mimic and the rod action of another one you got, you know? Well, the other so. side to it is you just keep buying more. Um, <laughs> yep. <I> read, <laughs> it's pretty stupid. That's, but that's I, me. I read, <laughs> and me too, unfortunately. And I think Whitman's probably smiling at this point. But I almost mm-hmm. sent him a picture five days ago. I was going through all my crankbaits. And I thought, man, I should sort out the Team Rhino colors versus all the other standards that I have. And I have the big Magnum, and it's like, plum full of just team rhino colors and i'm like what happened how did i get all of these and and how did i get all the others that are standards and i, I was kind of dumbfounded at what i had going on there probably got ten thousand dollars worth of crankbaits in two boxes <laughs> i know how it is yeah it's hard to not be you know and now of course now he's got these jointeds i've been i'm excited about playing with those this fall i, I had a couple of the 10 jointed matlocks but now i got you know i got um last year i got a 12 inch jointed bossman and i started scoring on it and then i'm like oh man i i when i saw duff at the show he had the 10 inch jointed matlocks and obviously i got a few of those and loved the way those look in the water so i'm excited about this fall for some of those and then even he had those eight inch uh eight inch with the joint and i was like oh man so you know it's it's just something else something else to try um, and you know, sometimes you never know what's going to be the hot thing, but like you said, the key is, is if you could pick up on it or what, what is it that it's, why is that one firing? If you could pick up on that, that's the key, you know? So one thing though, that I always wonder, and I know you guys know this anytime you've talked to me, I always talk about those deep diving baits and like, we have patterns where we're pulling a foot off the bottom and, you know, pulling a little faster, but we also have patterns where we're going slow with those you know, round lip deep diving baits and score with those in the mid column. You know, if I'm in 30 feet of water, maybe the fish are coming 15, 16, 17 down. And we have bites where in the twenties down over 40 foot of water and so forth. But I always wonder, is that a program? Do you guys see that out your way or no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's bizarre, Kevin. Incorporating live scope into my trolling setup, has been incredible. So mm-hmm. line counter reels aren't necessarily really that big a deal anymore. I mean, you could just use a big frame reel. And if you incorporate your live scope before you put that thing in the rod holder, you can see exactly what depth it's running, right? Yeah. It, it just, it cuts out all of your questions. You don't need to have depth charts anymore. You don't have to have a line counter. Now, the line counters are still nice because if you know exactly what depth or how much line you are running, you can duplicate it after you've reeled in a fish or changed something, you know, and so on and so forth. But Sure. So I still use line counters, obviously, but the live scope definitely has changed the game. And, and the neat thing about using live scope trolling is you get to interact with the fish a little bit. And what I mean by that is over the past couple of days, I mean, I have literally watched fish eat the bait as you're trolling along. I mean, that's a really cool thing. And it kind of gets you more ingrained in, into what you're doing when you're trolling. I, I hear it from so many people. I don't troll. It's too boring. Mm-hmm. But that same person will go out and sucker fish and sit there and drown the sucker. I don't understand. I mean, you can interact with the fish trolling. And trolling is way deeper than just driving around in circles. That's, yes. There's so many aspects to the game of trolling. 
But being that you have live scope, I mean, there's days where I have 15, 20 follows on live scope and not a single fish eats. But to, to what you just said, seeing some of those fish interact where they're 30 or 40 feet down and my bait might only be nine, 10 feet down and those fish will come up and check out that bait. So it definitely happens. And I think, uh, you know, if you can use a louder, when I say louder, I'm not talking about the noise of the bait, but what I'm talking about is I am a huge believer in the foil tape as well yeah. as the stamping, the hot stamping of having that prism tape on the side of a bait. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm a huge believer in that is I believe it calls fish. You know, it's kind of like holding a mirror up in the sun and blinding your buddy across the yard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. going to get attention. It just works. So for sure, I, I really am a huge believer in that. And I think that it'll call fish from deeper or far away. So mm-hmm. definitely something to consider as well. Now, what about what the fish interacting with you and like you ripping or like, see, cause that's something like, you know, without the lives, like when you're doing that trolling and you're seeing them since you're interacting with them, I am sure you could do a lot of like, you know, just self ripping, even if you're in the holder, pick it up out of the holder or go, you know, grab the line and give it a yank or do something to trigger them. I mean, I'm sure you've had some experience doing that then with the live scope trolling. Have you? Oh, absolutely. And if, if you've seen last year's uh, trolling episode on Mayhem 10,000 Cast, mm-hmm. we actually show some of that interaction. And one of the unique things about it is as a fish gets less interested in the bait, one of the things that Chase started doing in that particular show was he just opened the bale and let that bait kind of float with the fish as it was fading away. Mm-hmm. And that, just, that alone actually made that fish kind of re-interact with the bait and actually score. So today, as an example, I had a fish, we pulled it off a a deep point and we're going along and I bet we went probably three to 500 feet. You know, I'm just judging off my scale on my GPS screen and the fish is just five feet behind the base. It's just following and following and following. I'm not changing my speed. I'm not doing anything different because I'm, I'm interacting with that fish at that point. Finally, I slowed down the boat. Well, it closed the gap a little bit. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to speed up. So I speed up the boat and it kind of started fading on me. And so I told my guy, I said, grab the rod and, and rip the line. He ripped the line. The fish was now 20 feet from the boat and it just comes flying in there. And I swore it ate it, but it didn't. And, um, <laughs> and the fish backed back off like three, four feet away from it. I said, rip it again. He rips it again. The fish got a little bit excited, but each time we did this, it got a little less excited. We started mm-hmm. opening the bale, letting line out so that the bait would get closer to the fish. That fish followed us somewhere around 2,000 feet is what I could kind of figure when we were done wow. with it, and it finally faded off. But but having that opportunity to play with them on live scope definitely gives you more interaction with the fish. It's a little bit more exciting for the fishermen as you're trolling along. It, it, it's a really cool tool for, for that use. For sure. I could imagine. I mean, that would be awesome. You know, I'm not there yet. I still don't have it. So <laughs> I'm still, I, think, Kevin, I, I get it, man. I, I still am mentally. And so it's kind of challenging sometimes for me. I, I'll find myself watching it really closely, but I think the bottom line is still today. I'm watching, like if I'm structure trolling, I don't have time to watch the live scope, right? Sure. So I don't care about it as much. I glance at it here and there, 
And, and that's another good use for the live scope as well. If you're trolling structures and say you're trolling weeds, maybe even rock, it doesn't matter. It gives you a, for, a fair warning that the structure is coming up before you even get to it. So maybe you don't have it mapped out and you don't know exactly what you're doing. You can put that, that uh, live looking forward and it's going to tell you it's a tattletale, right? Before you even get there and crash your baits, you know that you need to turn. Or yeah. I can watch my baits behind the boat and oh those weeds are pretty tall well i can let off the throttle and the bait will start floating back up and now you can just tickle the tops of the weed and that has been really truly effective this fall as we go forward here i think we're going to start seeing them slide off the structure a little bit more so it isn't going to be quite as big a factor but uh mm-hmm. i know that we told the show two weeks ago where we were trolling structure and we were trolling the weeds and you can definitely see how that interacts right there on the, on the live scope. And I, I believe we got enough footage to, to share that with the public. So it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that'll be awesome. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And the other thing is, is say you have a weed that follows your line down and it hangs up on your leader. You can see that on your live scope. Oh, I gotta, I gotta pull that in and clean it, you know? So there's so many different uses for that live when it comes to trolling the trolling aspect. That's for sure. I could see that, man. That would be awesome. I, uh, I'm excited to watch the show season then. Cause I, I mean, I have the show, I've watched the shows and I've loved them. So I'll be looking forward to ones coming out this season as well. Well, it's so. been a blast the whole year filming. I will say that this was a year of cold fronts and it kind of reminded me of that when we first started the show here, maybe before we were even recording, you were talking about how the weather kind of affected your last trip. It's yes. been a weird, weird year in the sense that almost every film shoot that we did this year was a major, major cold front. And we still were able to get some, some fish and make it go happen, but man, it made things tough. And then two weeks ago, we, we were getting nice and cold and everything seemed to be leveling out. We had a massive warm front. So, weather has played a big factor and I think weather trumps all when it comes to muskie fishing. So it's always a challenge, but you can work through it. And, and if you pay attention to the details, you're going to find a way to win. Yeah. It just makes it that much more rewarding, you know? All right. So Kevin, well, let's, uh, let's put some of this together now. All right. We're, we're, we got some baits, we got some gear and now it's, you know, we'll say it's uh, late October and you're in Minnesota, you're in Wisconsin, you know, what kind of structures are you going to be looking for at this time of year? And let's talk a little bit about speed. You know, what, what, how fast are you going to be going? Um, you know, for me, I would probably, if it's late October, oh boy, what, what would you say water temp is? That's another one I need. I mean, I'm guessing it's going to probably be, I don't know, what are you thinking, Brad? Like 45 degrees? 50 maybe? In late October, I would guess that, yes. I mean, we're sitting at anywhere from 52 to 55, depending on the body of water you are, and depending on what part of the lake you're in. As our lakes have flipped the last four or five days, and so, you know, it's going to be kind of one of those slow drops now. But uh, in the next couple weeks, we should probably see 45 to 48 degrees, I would say. Okay. I mean, I would say if that was the case and I was trolling then, you know, because I know with turnover, there's always that relation where the fish go really shallow and then they start gradually moving out. So in that temps you're talking, I would probably be trolling closely related to whatever structures you're fishing, be it weeds, uh, be it rock. But, you know, I would be closer to the structures. 
some suspending off, you know, but doing a little bit more of that style trolling. Kind of like a to me, that's still yet an early fall. And as far as baits, you know, same baits we had talked about, but I would just, the only thing that I might change in that time, I would add a little more. I would still try trolling some, uh, I'd probably throw a few of the shallower versions of the uh, before mentioned cranks into that mix just to try it. Cause that happens for us here. So I have to at least throw that out there. Cause sometimes we do really well on the top, you know, five feet of the column still in the temperature talking. But then once it gets, you know, when it starts changing and you get to the, I, I say like 44 degrees and dropping all the way till it freezes, even 45 and dropping, let's say that's when they start to me stepping out and you look at, you know, I'm, I, I'm a lot of basin fishing at that point. I'm fishing basins. I'm fishing, you know, I'm finding schools of bait, any kind of relation to like, you know, would be spawning grounds in the spring, you know, the basins out in front of those. I'm looking for areas like that and fishing open water schools of, if I'm in Minnesota, like pelagic bait fish, you know, or if it's, you know, something else like Wisconsin, maybe sucker, perch, walleye, stuff like that. But looking for the best concentrations of bait, and I'd be trolling, you know, a mix of those baits we had mentioned. But speed-wise, I am still, I always try a little bit of both. So I, when it gets in that 45 and dropping, I do generally go slower. I'm more of a, you know, probably through, you know, four, two and down, which I know some people still think fast. But I, but I do catch them as slow as like two, five, two, eight. I do. So I don't have a set speed, so to speak. But when it's 45 and up, I don't do too much less than, say, 3.8, you know, not much less than that. That's like a low end for me. For me, it's just about covering water. The fish are still more more active to me. Um, they haven't slowed down so much just yet. And it's just more of a confidence in what I'm used to, you know. How painful is that for you, Kevin? Because I've trolled with you, and I know that you love the throttle. You're going to keep pushing it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do. It's uh, it's hard. Sometimes that helps me pick the places I'm going, you know? It seems like I, I do lean more on fast. Uh, you know what I'll say? Th that's funny you mentioned that, Brad, because something I talked about on my last trip. I said, for me, a lot of it comes down to control. If I am in a place that's open water, I'm basin fishing, so to speak, I'm fishing pelagic bait fish, I'm not running, trying to define, like run defined weed line structures or define rock humps or reefs or, you know, ledges that I'm trying to fish. If I'm not doing that, then I don't mind. I don't mind slow. I don't mind the spread of baits that are wandering around, having that, you know, slow, lazier action because I have control. I'm not trying to put the boat in a certain place really like so uh, precise. So I can run like brake line type trolling, right? Brake line, open base, that stuff. It doesn't bother me as much, right? I'm okay with going slower and I have like a happy medium. I'll find the speed that's like in that mid threes even, which is not fast, but yet I still have enough control and I feel like I'm covering some ground. And sometimes I do that just till I find something or get something working. And once I get the area where I have some action or something's happening, then I'll play. Then I might do a couple passes slow, 
with a, a few baits that maybe I like slow, you know, that have more snap at the slower speeds. And then maybe after I do that a few times, sometimes I'll do that two, three passes and then I'll kick up the speed a little high end for that water temp and try baits with a little more wiggle. And sometimes it works. I've seen both sides of that coin, but where it kills me is when I'm trying to run structure, when I'm trying to run rock reefs and I want to troll them a precise way and I got to spin in and out of the way. Well, that's when I got one of those little suicide knob things on my steering wheel or like one of those lawnmower knobs so you could spin the wheel without wearing out your shoulders. I always have that on my boat, you know, those little lawnmower knobs so you could spin the wheel easy. When I'm doing that and I'm poking in and out of that harm's way, I like to have a little bit of speed behind me so I can actually not get sucked in you know, when that, when that, when I'm seeing it cr climbing on the graph, I like to get into almost trouble because then you got to like goose it to get out of trouble, which triggers fish. But that's my thing. So if I'm trolling structures, then it's harder for me. It does. You're right, Brad. It kills me. I can't go in and run a real defined weed line trolling program at two seven. I'm going to, it's going to kill me. It will. Especially if there's any kind of wind that's pushing the boat around. Flat calm, maybe. But if it's windy and I just feel like I feel like my presentation's sloppy, I'm doomed, you know? So Well, I can honestly say, Kevin, as I'm trolling and and I have been for the last five days and in my head I think of you continually because I, I know if you were in my boat you'd be bumping that throttle faster and faster. Yeah. And I will say that over the last couple of years, because of having you on my shoulder talking about it or thinking about it. I have gone faster and faster. And I think a lot of times it, it's kind of a great use of, of time to cover more water. Number one, number two, yep. if I'm in the open water, I kind of want to see where that bait is. Right. And so I might do that for say two, three hours, find where the bait pods are. And then I can go back through it and slow it down too, if I want to. So there's multiple uses to that. And, and if you run your base at the right height in the water column, you can get by doing it over some of the weeds as well. And, and that, again, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but that's where that live scope helps me too. I know that my bait's just tickling the tops of those weeds, and I will push that speed as much as I can because I want to cover as much water as I can. So it definitely speed can be a huge, good learning aspect as well as uh, just covering as much water as you can and you can always slow back down so and another thing like half mile an hour increments do a lot so like i have had days where i'm doing two eight three two and i might get one early in the morning i'm like all right we got our speed you know or something and then i'm like man you know sun comes out gets a little nicer i'm just kind of lollygagging around wind picks up my presentation's getting a little sloppier my turns aren't quite doing as much with the baits, things like that. So then I'll just give it a half a mile an hour. And next thing you know, I'm three, seven. And sometimes when I'm coming into turns, I might, it might poke three, nine, but then the other side slowing down, you know, kind of thing. And when I come out of a turn, it might, it might drop down to three, five, then I straighten back out. Of. So, so sometimes that little half mile an hour, then you cover two zones. Cause now you're getting where on the high side or when you're turning into it, you're seeing almost four and the other one's dropping back to like three and a half. So that next little zone of a half mile, half mile an hour does a lot as far as what it's doing to the baits. It changes a lot. And sometimes 
that can make a huge difference too in your catching you know besides them just falling you, they might follow it just long enough till you make that first turn and they might grab it on the first turn you know you might not have known that was going on if you didn't have the live scope but i have definitely done that and it's worked you know i uh, i tell this one one story i'll tell you that it's it's just funny it's always been my thing about speed because i got a buddy that's like hey man do the speed you're used to do what you're comfortable with you do that you stick with it some days you're going to do good some days you might not do so good but at least you don't have to drive yourself crazy wondering how fast you should go that's his little line and i have a, a quick story that one time uh i was fishing a new lake i'd never fished it before it was total exploratory i just wanted to try it my buddy was mad at me for going in a way he's like oh man we shouldn't go. we're getting a late start as it is i'm like well i'm just gonna go so anyways, my, exactly what you said, Brad. I'm like, well, I got to cover water to see what this lake's all about. This is December 2nd, but it was a nice December day. I mean, I'm wearing a, a jogging pants and a hoodie. And I, mean, I think I didn't even, I had an old side console boat at that time with a, with a steering wheel, like an old 17-foot Starcraft or something. Well, anyways, so I'm trolling five miles an hour. It's December 2nd, right? The water's, I don't know, 41 degrees, 39, 41, something like that. You know, this goes back a ways. Well, anyways, I'm trolling five miles an hour. So because of that, I was looking for baits that would be good in five mile an hour and not have a problem, not be tangling, anything like that. This is multi-rod place. So five miles an hour with a jointed depth rater, which you know what a jointed depth rater looks like at five miles an hour. There is a ton a vibration and wiggle and wouldn't you know it i'm bouncing around a couple of little treetops that are like old basically wore off rotted away tree nubs about 18 foot down with that depth rater and wouldn't you know it bang i get a it ended up being a, a 38 pounder okay going five miles an hour in a lake i never fished and i was just covering water so i'm like you know what <laughs> it's saturday i'm coming back sunday i'm gonna go home get get a few more depth raters and i got these fishes number because i found them in one particular end of the lake and i only found that end of the lake because i was going fast enough to cover the water right so when i come back the next day i'm going four eight to five i got four depth raters out there and i'm thinking man i got these girls number you know and of course as it would be, very next day, I didn't do nothing. I didn't have any action. I'm like, what the heck? I bring a buddy out with me. He's like, man, I thought we were going to be on to something. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Well, anyways, I look over, and I see this guy by himself with his hands full. I see the splashing, whatever. I go over to him, and he's got this fish uh, on the side of the boat. And he's trying to get it out. His pliers were like a little, his cutters were a little rusted. I, I, he waves me over. He's got like a big fat 48 inch, you know, fall fish with an 11 inch bait glued to the side of its face. My buddy's looking at our four depth raters hanging out of the back, like, oh boy, you know? And uh, so anyways, I give him my nip X, he cuts it out. Beautiful fish, lets it go. And he goes, yeah, man. He's like, I just was trolling around. He's like, I got her going about two eight, you know? I'm like, 2.8 with 11-inch bait. <laughs> Yesterday, I got a 38-pounder, you know, going five miles an hour. So anyways, I look at my box. I was like, what else do I got big? We waved, and now he thanked me for helping him. We waved. I, I headed off. I didn't even get out of his sight. I'm looking in my box to see what I had that was anything remotely big and straight with a slower action. I found a 10-inch perch jake. Put it on, threw it out 50 feet, set it in the holder, 
literally slowed my boat down to about two eight to three and before i could even get it all the way settled into that speed my rod just lays back and i ended up getting a a 40 pound muskie um right with the guy out barely out of sight and all it was was speed and a lure change same lake same location one day you know so that's a just an interesting story that always told me you're never going to know it all but it definitely pays the change because had i not seen that i wouldn't have done that and i got that fish literally two minutes later and i don't think it was just a window you know i don't think i would have caught it it's amazing isn't it and you know one of the questions that always gets asked kevin is when do you make that change how do you know to make that change right i mean i can honestly say in the last yeah. couple of days going slower definitely made the fish interact with us we didn't catch yeah. anything but you could definitely see on the live scope they would at least shoot up and look at it if i was going slower but it, it wasn't what i wanted to do but that's what the fish were telling me to do but they still weren't eating so then i'm like well you know what i'm gonna make a circle here i'm gonna go back over that fish and i'm gonna kick it up you know half a mile an hour faster maybe even a mile an hour faster just trying different things but what mm -hmm. what is it that tells you hey i need to make a change and i need to see what i can do here to uh, get some fish to eat oh boy i have like a uh i'll do two things either like a two hour window and if and if i'm on fish say i'm marking fish if i'm marking hooks i see the life there i see the bait i see the hooks everything's right i give it two hours worth of zinging around those fish and if i can't get them to go i'll change something now, if I fish like a, if it's a major and it's a couple hour window or something and I get halfway through the major and I'm on them and nothing's happening, I'll make an adjustment. And sometimes it's a gut feeling. It'll be cold, cold wind on the back of your neck. You're like, oof, you know, things seem like it's just getting a little more bitter. I may lean on the side of a little slower, you know, opposite side of that coin is, you know, you get out there and it maybe feels like it's a nice fall day, you know, and it's not too bad. You might want to even peel the coat off. I'm probably going to lean on going a little faster. And that another thing is that's if you're, if it's a place that's a low density, not many strike kind of deal. If you're lucky enough that wherever you're fishing in the fall, they are biting or you are contacting more, then you just got to pay a, a little more attention to which rod is going or or i should say when is it going if it's going on a straightaway and you're doing three two then you probably got something especially if you get another one but if you've got two rods out and you're going three two and then you turn the wheel and you catch a fish and you notice it was the rod that was taking the brunt of the turn i'd speed up you know and if it's the one that's the leeward side and you can pay attention and remember that i'd probably slow down you know especially if it's a multi-strike kind of place if it's a one strike deal a day thing that that's hard you know but i've had some of the places where i fish around here you know you pick up real quick every time i make that outside turn geez i'm scoring on that outside rod well that rod's going faster so next thing i know my next pass i put a, there's times next thing you know i look down i'm going four six with little round lip trolling baits and this is fall and next thing you know bzz, you know it turns a two fish day into a six so that's the thing with fishing all those different places. I've seen that, but like I say, just base it off of where you're at and what you expect action wise. And if you could pay attention to which rod goes and when it goes in the turn versus a straightaway and so forth, 
sometimes that'll be your only sign you got, like you were saying, as far as when do you try, you know, versus the old, I just had enough and I'm seeing lots of life and it's not happening. Try kicking it up or slowing it down based off of just a gut feeling. That's about all I ever do, you know? Well, that's a great explanation. I I definitely think that it's always challenging, right? Mentally. But again, you know, you, you brought it up again. It's a paying attention to the detail. You know, was that the outside rod? Was it the inside rod? Did that increase speed? Did it decrease speed? Those are things that are going to definitely clue you in. So I got to ask one other thing. Trolling speeds after dark. Do you slow down after dark? Yes. And I typically, a lot of times, like a, I'd say a rule of thumb for me is at least a mile. So if I'm trolling four in the day, I'm doing three at night. If I'm doing three, five during the day, I'm doing two, five at night. So typically most cases, it's at least a mile slower and uh, something else with that too, with the slow thing. Um, When I'm going slower, like if I have something that I was doing during the day a little faster and I switch it to night and I'm slowing down, that's where like sometimes the foam baits come into play because when you're running the foam baits, the slower you go when you're turning and stuff, they don't rise they stay in that depth. So even if you're pulling slow speed and you had a depth control thing that you were doing earlier, those foam style baits, like something like say like perch bait hooker candy style thing, those hold their depth more so than a wood. If you're trying to pull off that slow thing and making turns and things like that without losing the depth, they stay in their zone more. So it's just another little added thing for night too, you know, but yeah, I typically cut at least a mile an hour. That makes perfect sense. You know, I will say that during the day too, a lot of times if I am having a fish follow, I will a lot of times slow way down and that flotation of that bait is going to come up towards the surface. And a lot of times that can be the ticket. You know, it's kind of like working a jerk bait where you have that slow death pause where it's slowly coming up in the water column. That can make a difference as well. So but I, I do, I do agree with you 100%. When you start going after dark, it seems like those fish can lose contact with your bait quicker than they do during the day, right? Mm-hmm. It's one sense that's maybe not in their in their realm. If if they're willing to eat at three five, that makes sense during the day. But during the night, they're going to have a little bit harder time following that bait or making contact with that bait than they would with the daylight hours. So yes, slowing down definitely seems to be part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of slowing down at night for sure. I know last year, Jeff, I remember I was trolling and I think you were trolling after dark and I think you had success and I didn't. Is that right? No. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> I, I thought you caught some fish after dark. No, absolutely did not. I didn't, see, I didn't <laughs> sniff a single thing. No, I I mean, I appreciate you thinking that I can catch fish after dark, but no, that was not the case. (laughs) Give yourself some credit, Come on. (laughs) And what what do you guys usually do? You guys usually cut her back on like something like that, or you go even more so, or like, I just curious if it's different than what I'm doing. For me, I don't start at four to start i'm not at four to start with so like for me i'd probably be more like 3.2 3.3 which i'm not saying is right i actually think it's a mistake i've told this story in the podcast before i was fishing down 
in Madison, kind of similar to that story that you just said before. Like it was a bait mm-hmm. change and a speed change. It was the same thing. It wasn't a bait change for me. It was a speed change for me. So I was going slower. I uh, Jeff Hansen texts me. He's like, how you doing out there? And I said, I'm not doing great. I think we had a pike or something like that. It wasn't real special. And mm-hmm. then he's like, well, how fast are you going? And I told him, and I want to say I was in that three to 3.2, 3.3 range or something like that. I don't know if I was quite 3.3, but I was pretty slow. And he's like, no, dude, speed it up. And I'm like, really? Like the water temperature was pretty cold. I mean, we're talking like mid November ish. And he's like, nope, speed it up. And sure enough, sped up, caught a muskie, caught some more pike, lost one more muskie. So it was a speed change for me. So I'm not typically going that fast to start with. And then when I, but at night though, much like you said, I probably would be about that, eh, maybe not quite a full mile, because I'd only be going 3.2. I don't typically drop to 2.2, but I could see myself right. doing 2.5 at night for sure. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes well, sense. I can, I can honestly say that I think a lot of that has to do with what kind of water clarity you have. And then number two, whether or not you have maybe some moonlight that's going to penetrate that, that water that you're fishing as well Mm -hmm. as just light pollution. And when I talk about light pollution, I know I've said this on the podcast in the past. It doesn't matter if you're casting or if you're trolling. If you have a lot of light pollution, meaning shoreline lights, whether it be cabins or houses on the the shoreline with yard lights and so on and so forth, I definitely think that that helps you. And generally speaking, I don't go less than 2.8. 2.8 is kind of what I do after dark. And yeah. my sweep in the open water in the spring is usually three two, mm-hmm. and there's been times where I'm pushing it up to four four and a half. So mm-hmm. I, during the daytime, I'm experimenting throughout the day, no different than you, Kevin. I mean, if I'm not yeah. having success and I'm not getting fish to move, I'm going to kick the speed up a little bit, or maybe I'm on a new body of water and I, I want to search and kind of find out where these pods of baits are, you know, and and that bait might be in 30 feet water off of a break, or it might be out in 60 feet over, you know, 80 feet of water. So I'm always paying attention to where the, the, the bait is in the water column, as well as my bait placement, as well as the light penetration when it comes to dark. It's all of those different factors. There's so many different factors in this. And I, but I will say that my sweet spot has always been 3-2. And I know it drove you crazy when we were trolling in the open water going 3-2. But, uh, yeah. And my throttle did somehow get bumped forward a little bit a few times. And, and, <laughs> and I will admit this spring, um, if I wasn't doing 4, 4-2, four, 4-3, four, I wasn't getting bit. And, and that's unique for me. I, I will say that, but I think that a lot of times speed will definitely make a change in that fish's behavior, meaning they have less time to actually react. And I think a lot of times speed will, it's no different than casting. You're retrieving at a slow speed or you're retrieving at a burning speed. They have less time to react. They're going to either engage and eat or they're just going to slide off to the side and go back to doing whatever they were doing. So Speed can definitely be affected. Yeah, I agree. The only thing that maybe we didn't talk about is rod holders. I don't know if we want to go down that path or not, but... I don't really want to go down that path. Well, I mean, it'll only be another 45 minutes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Rod, rod holders are easy. That's uh, I mean, well, I guess everybody's different, but for me, it's easy. I've never changed. I just use, I still use down East and I use the, the fat AZ holders for the down East. Now that's kind of been a staple. And if I'm pulling the real big hard pulling stuff, I, I have used some of those like riptides. And I mean, those things are like bulletproof, you know, but even AZ now makes a, a heavier version clamshell. So that's easy on those for me. I'm simple. You guys might have more involved, but that's all I use and all I ever have used, you know? Agreed 100%. Yeah. That's what I do as well, Kevin. Tell me a little bit more about the Fat AZ, uh, the, the thicker clamshell. I'm interested. Yeah, so he has a upgraded clamshell that you could buy that even for your down east base, you just take the screw out and take that original clamshell out and pop these right down in. And I mean... It's, I can't remember the gauge aluminum, but I wish I did, but it's on his site. But I put those in my Skeeter, man, are they sweet. You know, no more stretching out. Like, you know how those little ears of the downies start getting bent out sometimes and they get a little wear to them. Then they get little stress cracks and I've, I've even busted them, but those they're like tanks. I mean, I don't think you could hurt them. And it's such a simple adjustment. He just sends you the two clamshells about that little, you know, screw and pull the clamshell out, pop those in, and you're done. So your base isn't everything off to mess with. It's just the shell. Those are awesome. Really awesome. So yeah, he sells them on his page. I definitely will have to check that out. And uh, the reason being is over a period of years, like you were just saying, I mean, the Down Easters are great rod holders, and it's the only one to use, in my opinion. Um, I'm interested in this heavier-duty one, but they will start to stretch and then eventually they get to a point where I had it today. The clients are trying to pull them up and, and try to get a rod back in them. And they're just like, what is the deal with this? Well, they're stretched and they're, they've been worked a lot. So they That's start right. to wear down and, and it's a good idea to change. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll like those. I think those are a one and done. I think once you get those, you'll probably be done with it. You know, I, I I don't see those busting. They're pretty heavy. They're nice. And they fit the rod a little bit better, too. It's a little more snug, you know what I mean, on the real seat. It just has a nicer feel overall, the way it's machined, you know what I mean? So they're, they're sweet. You'll like those for sure. So I will dig into them, that's for sure. I mean, I'm always yeah. looking for improvement, that's for sure. See this? Now I'm going to go shopping for a rod you guys have recommended. It sounds like you might be buying some new clamshells. <laughs> from fat az <laughs> musky products so yeah for sure that's that's the way this sport works right we're always looking for the that's best right. that's right well kevin i want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us seeing as though you don't have anything i mean there's nothing in this for you right you're just a a, a normal dude who gets the musky fish more than average who's willing to come on and share information with us. So you're not out there promoting guide services or anything. So you essentially do this out of the goodness of your heart. And I want to thank you for that very much. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, man. Yeah, that's the only reason I'm doing it. You're right. It's just, I love to do it. Anything I can, any way I can help you guys. Yeah, that's, I appreciate doing it. So I'm glad you guys had me back on anytime. All right. And for our listeners, we want to thank you all for putting up with this episode. We'll have another one again next week, Wednesday. 